her in, and she took care of us. I'm forgetting Uncle Arlen. He was Aunt Ruthie's and Mama's younger brother, but he had gone west not long after our folks died, and we had not heard from him in years. So he didn't count as kin. Aunt Ruthie herself said he was as good as dead to us. She felt he ought to have stayed around to help her raise us, I guess. Around the middle of winter, she felt he ought to have stayed around to chop wood. That was when I heard his name mentioned most often. Aunt Ruthie could hold a grudge second to none. David's out of a book, I said stubbornly, and I ain't never seen any giants. That's because he killed them all, Maud told me. You have to stop reading those cheap stories. Your grammar is atrocious. You ever seen any Indians? I asked her. Not around here, Maud said. That's because Joe Harden, frontier fighter, cleared them all out. Single-handed. That's what I said. But down deep, I believed Maud. Single-handed Lee, she said. Maud had, in the past year, begun to help Aunt Ruthie in the classroom, and she had become quite a stickler. Kansas is a frontier, Sally. Iowa is civilized. It didn't used to be, I said, but only because it grated on me sometimes that Maud knew just about everything. Everything except what I had learned from those dime novels. I just knew that if I ever had to survive off the land the way the frontier fighters did, if I had to kill a bear or outsmart a wily Indian, I'd be better able to do it than my sister. Ask Aunt Ruthie about Joe Harden, then, Maud said as Aunt Ruthie came our way, carrying her purchases wrapped in brown paper that nearly matched her dress. We'd been orphans for six years. In that time, given the choice between Maud's answers and Aunt Ruthie's, when mulling over the knobbly questions of life, I'd found Maud's to be more to the point. Maud said, Go ahead, ask. Don't you dare ask me anything, Aunt Ruthie strode right on past us. Some days it isn't even a good idea to get out of bed, she muttered as we left the mercantile. The screen door slapped shut behind us, and gunshots broke out in the alley between the barber shop and the saloon across the street. The noise was awful. A stray bullet hit Aunt Ruthie in the heart and killed her dead. What's happening? Maud said when Aunt Ruthie dropped like a stone. Although the shots were deafening, I heard this as if Maud spoke right into my ear. There were several other people on the street who took no notice of Aunt Ruthie at all. They were scurrying madly for their own safety. The shooting went on in fits and starts even after Aunt Ruthie fell. Only Maud and I stood like wooden Indians in those first moments. There was hardly any blood. On Aunt Ruthie's sacking brown dress, it looked at first like only a dark wet spot, but still I couldn't take my eyes off it. After another moment, I saw the hole in the middle of that spot and then the color, just a rim of blood red at the edge of the dark wet. I don't believe I breathed, watching. It's safe to say Maud had not noticed even this much when she dropped to her knees to stuff a paper parcel under Aunt Ruthie's head like a pillow. Maud patted Aunt Ruthie's cheek rather smartly, believing her to have fainted. Yanking off her bonnet, 
Maud used the brim to ruffle the air around Aunt Ruthie's face. Aunt Ruthie, Maud kept saying, scolding, really, because she'd told Aunt Ruthie she was tiring herself. Aunt Ruthie wasn't all that old, but she'd had a long bout with the influenza the winter before that left her considerably weakened. However, it had not left her with a hole in her heart. Maud, I said and pointed. Maud screamed and fell over Aunt Ruthie in a faint. The gunshot stopped then, although probably not because Maud screamed. Likelier, those stupid cowboys had run out of bullets or killed each other. Maybe one of them shot out the mirror again, the way one of them did every so often, and had stopped to think about seven years of bad luck. I need help here, I shouted into the mercantile, where everybody now lay on the floor, but not because they were hurt. They were hiding. Aunt Ruthie's been shot and Maud has fainted dead away. I tell you all this to make you understand that Maud was an upright young woman who never made mock of the truth or questioned the dark ways of justice until she saw how truth could be mangled to make a shape unrecognizable. To have you know her for a rightly raised person who never complained about the awful twists of fate that made her life less comfortable than it might have been. To show you how impossible it was for her to do the things everyone claimed that she did. For this is the true story of how my sister, Maud March, came to be known far and wide as a horse thief, a bank robber, and a cold-blooded killer. Chapter 2 Aunt Ruthie died there on the boardwalk in front of the mercantile, and our lives changed overnight. We went out in the morning to choose a box at the undertaker's and came back to find a man from the bank locking our doors. But I'm getting ahead of my story. The sheriff came running at the sound of gunshots, and the shooter was arrested. We saw this happening, but again, it hardly seemed real. Maud cried over Aunt Ruthie in a ladylike way that Aunt Ruthie would have approved of. I cried because Maud cried. That was how I felt right then. The terrible truth was, I was not so sad as surprised, deeply surprised. Somehow hopeful that the school bell would ring and Aunt Ruthie would stand and say, That's all the time we have. Put your pencils down. Reverend Peasley and the undertaker arrived together. The blessing in this was that Maud and I had only to let them take things in hand. The reverend installed us in his buggy. It was a tight fit, being a one-seater, but we lived only a few streets away. Although it was a very short ride, we were twice nearly overcome by a terrible odor. The first time, I thought Reverend Peasley must be the guilty party. I kept this notion to myself. The second time, I understood it to be his buggy pony. Only the sudden gust of a breeze saved me from gagging. A bit windy all of a sudden, I said. Thank the Lord, Reverend Peasley replied. He took us to the home of an elderly neighbor lady. When she came to the door, Reverend Peasley told her Aunt Ruthie had passed over. Oh, poor thing, Mrs. Golightly said. She had to look up at him, as she wasn't any taller than myself. Did she go quietly? We heard all this, 
the buggy having been drawn up near the door. Maybe Reverend Peasley thought he would only upset us further because he didn't answer that question. Instead, he asked her if we could stay the night with her, if she would comfort us in the womanly way. That's what he said to her. What was the poor woman to say to him but yes? I had not expected this, nor had Maud. I could see that. It came home to me in that moment that we were all we had, Maud and me. This time, there was no Aunt Ruthie to take us in hand. This time, we were orphans once and for all. He left us there. Mrs. Golightly did her best. She offered us cookies and cold buttermilk, but we weren't hungry. She suggested a lie-down, but we said no thank you. We sat in her parlor for several minutes, all of us silent, until Maud said, I want to go home. And so you shall, Mrs. Golightly said so kindly that we cried some more. The feeling of surprise had left me, but still I didn't feel my tears were for Aunt Ruthie so much as they were for Maud and me. What were we to do now? Aunt Ruthie was gone so quickly she hadn't even had time to wonder what happened. The Reverend told us she'd gone to a place where no one had need to be scared. I was glad for Aunt Ruthie. I was only sorry that Maud and me had to face this worry without her stern face to guide us. By the time Mrs. Golightly got around to putting her night things into her knitting bag, some weather had blown in. We had to walk arm in arm with Mrs. Golightly, or we might have lost her to the breeze. Not only was she no taller than me, she was strangely lighter, as if her bones had no weight to them at all. Maud's hair and mine whipped and snapped around our heads, and by the time...